turn to the book of Nehemiah, chapter 9. What a mighty God we serve. Nehemiah, chapter 9, and we're going to begin reading in verse 32. We're going to read through verse 38. Actually, we're going to cover the whole chapter of Nehemiah chapter 9 tonight, but just for the reading tonight, I'm going to hit the basic part, or this morning, I'm sorry. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. When you get there, say amen. If you ain't there, say hold on. All right. I like a man that'll be truthful with me. And if you've got your own Bible this morning, I pray that you do, um, open up and look at it. Uh, the screen is there for a purpose and a reason, and I'm glad that it is a great resource that we can use, but I really need you in your word this morning. I need you to be have your eyes on your Bible. Nehemiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 32. This is what it reads. Now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and awesome God, who keeps covenant and mercy do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us. Our kings and our princes, our priests and our prophets, our fathers and on all of your people, God, from the days of the king of Assyria until this day. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law. Nobody has kept your law. Nobody has been obedient to you, God. Carrying on. Nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave them or in the large and rich land which you set before them. Nor did they turn from their wicked works. Did y'all catch that? He said, we have not served you in all that you have blessed us with and all that you have given us. We've lived for ourselves. We've not served you. And then he goes on in verse 36. But here we are, servants today. And the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are, servants in it. And it yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure, and we are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests, they seal it. You may be seated. Over the last few weeks, we've been discussing our responsibilities one toward another. My responsibility as pastors and the responsibility of teachers towards you, what their duties are, what God has placed them in the position for, what is their purpose. And we went over that from the book of Malachi, believe it or not. Malachi showed us many duties and responsibilities that the priest had in that day of time. And because we have carried on the part of the priesthood of preaching and teaching, in Christ Jesus, He is the ultimate high priest, but we are in Him. We carry on that part of the priesthood. We got many of our duties as far as teaching and, and preaching is concerned 
from that part of Malachi. Then the next week we talked about some of your responsibilities toward me as the pastor and, and Nick as a pastor and, and as Kirby as pastor and as many of the teachers around here. We have talked about your responsibilities and what your duty is toward all of us. And this week I want to talk just a little bit about our responsibilities one to another, not as pastor church, not as church teacher, but just brother, sister in Christ. My responsibility to you just as a brother in Christ. Your responsibility to me just as a brother and sister in Christ. Not because you hold any position in the church and the body of Christ, but just what your responsibility is just being who you are in Christ on your everyday walk. And I get this from, of all places, the book of Nehemiah. Last week we got your responsibilities of the church from the book of Nehemiah chapter 8. We learned last week that some of your responsibilities, according to Nehemiah chapter 8, was that they assembled themselves together without anyone having to beg. The priest didn't stand up, ring a bell, say it's time to come to church. No, they just joined together. As a matter of fact, when they got there, they, the next thing that they realized their responsibility was, they didn't have to sit there and try to stay awake to listen to the Word of God. They didn't have to sit there and go, wow, this is boring no, they sat up on the edge of their seat. Their ears were very attentive and they said, Please, read us and preach to us the Word of God. We want to live our lives the way that God wants us. How many wants to live the way God wants you to live? You realize that takes the Word of God being spoken to your life. And they said, please give us the Word of God. Nehemiah or Ezra didn't have to stand up and beg them and say, please listen to me. No, they were at a point in their life that they said, God, we got to have Your Word. This is Your messenger right here. We're going to sit up. We're going to listen. We're going to take notes. We're going to begin to model our life the way that You would teach us to live our life. They wanted to hear the Word of God. They asked the priest to teach them. They were very attentive to it. They highly respected the teachers. They so respected the messengers of God that they built a platform. And they told him, you stand on this platform to proclaim this holy Word. This Word is worthy of being high and lifted up and the one that carries it should be in a place where he is heard. They highly esteemed. They respected their leaders. They submitted to His truthful preaching. They showed great reverence for the Word of God. The book of Nehemiah chapter 8 said that when he opened the book, before he even started reading it, the only thing Ezra did was open the book. And when he did, the people just stood up. They honored, they revered the Word of God. They agreed with God's Word, even if it meant they had to change. The Bible says that as Ezra began to read from it, that they began to shout, Amen, Amen. And we know that it wasn't something that was telling them everything they were doing was right because the Bible says that they wept bitterly. When they saw their wrong, they didn't look back and say, That preacher ain't got no business telling me what I'm doing wrong. The preacher ain't telling you. Instead, they lifted their hands and they said, Amen, Amen. God, you're right. I'm wrong. I line my my life up with the way you say. And the last thing, they helped each other understand the Word of God. Everyone was edified. All of a sudden, after the reading was done, they all got together and everybody just talked about it between one another. 
and they helped each other, made sure everybody understand. And this week we go into Nehemiah chapter 9. Just a little background. They have been in worship service now for 24 days. 24 days straight they have been worshiping. They've been keeping the feast of the Lord. They have been reading from the book of the law every single day. And now we come to the 24th day and it is time to renew the commitment to God. Now some of you are asking me, what does this have to do with our responsibility one to another? Have I let you down yet? Hang in there. We're going to get there. He said, today is the day that we are going to renew our commitment. So in verse 3 of Nehemiah chapter 9, it says, They stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for one-fourth of the day, and for another-fourth they confessed and worshipped the Lord their God. How long is two-fourths or one-half of a day? Twelve hours. Twelve hours they're in this worship service. For six hours, they're reading from the book of the law. And for the next six hours, they recognize what the law has shown them and they begin to confess and correct the things in their life that don't belong. And now we get to verse 4 and verse 5. Verse 4 and 5, the Levites now, the other teachers, the other priests, they begin to step up and now they are fixing to recite a prayer that I believe and many theologians believe Ezra actually wrote. The reason we say that is because if you will look at verse 5, it says, And the Levites, Jeshua, and I'm in the middle of this right here, And the Levites, Jeshua, Cadmiel, Bani, Hashbani, whatever those names are, said, Stand up. And bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name which, exalted, which is exalted above blessing and praise. There is no way, well there is a way, the Holy Spirit could have been on all seven of these at the same time and they could have all seven spoke the same thing at the same time. It is possible. I personally believe that Ezra wrote this prayer, being the, being the scribe and the high priest during this time, he wrote this prayer and then all of these Levites got together and oh, in front of all the people, they begin to recite this prayer. We're going to go through this whole prayer very quickly, so you've got to stay with me. I ain't going to linger too long this morning. We're going to move. Notice what it says at the end of verse 5 right here. Stand up and bless the Lord your God forever and ever. How many of you know that in order for God to get the praise that He is due, you can't do it in three hours this Sunday morning? Stand up and bless the Lord forever and ever from now until eternity ends, which there will never be an end to eternity. That I believe that is the reason why we are going to have eternal life in heaven. Because in order for us to portray the glory, the image of the glory of God, in order for us to give Him the praise that is due Him, it will take eternity to do it. I don't care how good your choir sings. I don't care how good your preacher preaches. I don't care how, how great the fellowship is here. I don't care how good the instruments play. I don't care how great your church is. It is not good enough to give God what He is worthy of. He is worthy of more than we can ever give. It will take an eternity for us to do it. So the Levites, Ezra being inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes this prayer and he says, Stand up. Bless the Lord your God forever and ever. Blessed be your glorious name, God. 
which is exalted above all blessing and all praise. He said that the name of God, and I want you to think about a name today don't mean what it did in older times. When we pick a baby's name today, we get the baby book out and we just find something unique, something different. We find like most uh, movie stars this day and time, they name them Apple or, or Orange or something unique. You know, there really isn't a meaning behind the name. Now, that's not everybody. Some of us do. But it says here that the name of God is exalted above all blessing and praise. A name was what represented the person. Have you ever heard of Benedict Arnold? What does that represent to you? Traitor. Whenever you hear in, in the old movies of the old kingdoms and the medieval times and someone comes to you in the name of the king, you know what happens? People perk up. You know why? Because that king represents authority. He represents power. He represents, I can take your life if I want to. The name of God is no different. The only difference is this. It is the greatest power of authority. It is the greatest ruler. It is the greatest reign. And the name of God represents everything of who He is. It represents His character. It represents His essence. So when we say God, we are talking about the mighty Creator, the one that none of us would be if He stopped thinking about us even for a millisecond. We would vanish he says here, Blessed be your glorious name, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. There will never be enough blessing. There will never be enough praise to exalt His name to where it needs to be. He is that great. He is that mighty. He is that awesome. But then look at verse 6. Because ne uh, not Nehemiah, Ezra and these Levites are going to do their best to pray to God and exalt His name. In verse 6, you alone are the Lord. You have made heaven, the heavens of heavens, with all their host, the earth and everything on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve them all. The host of heaven worships you. Basically, this is what he's saying. Y'all stay with me. He's saying, God, you stand alone in your category. There is no God but you. Without you... You are the only thing that preserves all of your creation, all of heaven and all the hosts thereof, all the earth, everything that's in it, all the sea, everything that is there. You are the only one that can do that. You are the only one that preserves it. And that's the reason it exists. And then in verse 7 and 8, he says, You are the Lord God. You chose Abram and you brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans, and you gave him the name Abraham, and you found his heart faithful before you and made a covenant with him to give the land of the Canaanites, so on and so on. And then if you look at the very bottom of that verse, look what he says. You have performed your words, for you are righteous. Basically, this is what, is this what they say. God, you chose a people unworthy to be chose by you, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, even Abraham. You chose a people who was unworthy to be chosen by you and you saved them and you brought them out of the sinful land and you caused them to dwell in a land flowing with milk and honey. We were not worthy, but you gave it to us. And then in verse 9 and 10, 
You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and you heard their cry by the Red Sea. And you showed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, against all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted proudly against them. And look at the end of verse 10. So you made a name for yourself as it is this day. This is what he said. You saw the cries of your people. You saw them in their distress. You saw them in their trouble. You heard their cry. And when you heard their cry, you delivered them. But you didn't just deliver them. In the process of delivering them, you made a name for yourself. A name that even today people say, the God of the Israelites, oh yeah, that was the God that parted the Red Sea. And they walked across on dry land. And then he destroyed their enemies as verse 11 points out to us. Look at what it says. I can hear the Levites as they, re, as they say this prayer. And they say, God, you made a name for yourself as it is this day. And then not only that, hello, you divided the Red Sea. You parted the Red Sea. It stood up and your children walked through on dry land. Hello, lights. That's exactly what happened. You made a name for yourself. And not only that, but then when the enemy tried to come behind them, you, let, you broke on them like a wave. You crushed them like a stone. They were no more. And then in verse 12, not only that, but as they had to go through this wilderness time, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. You guided them through the wilderness by clear signs is what he's saying. Verse 13, you came down also on Mount Sinai. You spoke with them from heaven and gave them just ordinances and true laws. You taught them your ways. That's what he's saying here. You taught them your ways. You showed them exactly what you expected. Then in verse 15, we're going to skip 14, you gave them bread from heaven for their hunger. You brought them water out of the rock for thirst and told them to go in and possess the land which you had sworn to give them. You gave them all of their needs. They went without nothing they needed. And then verse 16 is where we get to our first little place where they twisted a little bit. Up to this point, the whole prayer has been about the glory of God. Up to this point, the whole prayer has been about how great God has been to them. How great God has been to us. But then look what happens. This is how we responded to His goodness. Verse 16 and 17 together. But they and our fathers acted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed your commandments. They refused to obey, and they were not mindful of your wonders. They did you, and that you did among them, but they hardened their necks, and in their rebellion they appointed a leader to return to their bondage Stop right there for just a minute. We're going to finish the verse, but I want you to see what's happening right here. He said, God, out of all you've done for us, the best we could do was harden our heart, harden our necks, be mule-headed, be stubborn, and not listen to what you told us to do after all you have done for us. Oh, but listen to this. But you, O oh God. Don't you love the buts in the Word of God? But you, O oh God, ready to pardon. Do you hear that? God is just waiting 
He knows that you are probably going to mess up. But even still, in your rebellion, even though He brought you out of this land and now you've elected a leader for yourself to walk you back into that place where He's brought you out of, but you, O oh God, are ready to pardon. He says, I just want you to recognize your way, turn around and come back home to me. I'm ready to pardon. I'm ready to forgive you for all the wrong you've done. But you, O oh God, are gracious and you're merciful. You're slow to anger. You're abundant in kindness. And you did not forsake them. Oh, this is good stuff, y'all. I don't know if you've experienced this in your life yet or not, but if you haven't, you ain't been a Christian very long or you're not a Christian. One of the two. He's ready to pardon. He is gracious. He's merciful. He's abundant in kindness. This is our God. And then look at verse 18. Even when they made a molded calf for themselves and said, This is your God that brought you up out of Egypt and worked great provocations, in verse 19, yet in your manifold mercies you did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of the cloud did not depart from them by day to lead them on the road. You hear what he said? Parents. I got some ears perked up just then. Parents, mothers and fathers. Imagine that you have given your children everything. You have kept nothing back from them. You have blessed them abundantly. And now your child says, that's not my mother and father. They've never done anything for me. But instead, this is my mother and father. I've raised myself. I'm going to mold this image into who has actually done for me because I've done for me. I am the only reason I have anything today. They have done absolutely nothing for me. How would you feel? What would that make you feel like inside? These children right here, after God done all these wonders, they made a golden calf and said, this is the one that did it. This golden calf right here, he parted the sea. He's the one that has given you everything you have. Yet in your manifold mercies, in your great mercy, even in the midst of that rebellion, you did not forsake them in the wilderness, but you continued to guide them. Now go on just a little bit quicker. Look at verse 20 and 21. Verse 20 and 21 Basically what he's saying there is you provided all their needs and they never had need of anything. Nothing wore out while they were going through this wilderness. Their feet didn't swell. Their feet didn't hurt. The soles of their shoe did not wear thin. Their garments never wore out for 40 years. How many of you had the same clothes for 40 years? Same shoes for 40 years? No, not many. They never wore out. God, you provided all their needs. Verse 22 and 23, not only that, but you gave them kingdoms and many children. Verse 23 says, you also multiplied their children as the stars of heaven. You made them a great nation. Think about what all God is doing in the midst of all this rebellion. Does this make sense to any of you? Is this something you continue to do when somebody is constantly pushing you away and wants absolutely nothing to do with you? People that curse you, people that don't want you in their life at all, is this the way you respond to them? 
This don't make no sense. This is not, this is not understandable to us. But then in verse 24, he says, The people went in and they possessed the land, and you subdued, them before, you subdued before them the inhabitants of the land. He says, You fought their battles for them and made them victorious. They didn't even want you as their God, and you brought them into kingdoms, nations, and you made them victorious. You fought their battles for them. And then in verse 25, he says, You gave them houses already stocked. You gave them wells that were already dug, vineyards that were already built, fruit trees that were already planted. They didn't even have to go in this place and build it up. It was already built for them when they went in. And then look at verse 26. Nevertheless, <laughs> nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. They cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them <laughs> to turn them to yourself and they worked great provocations. That's the way we responded to this great and mighty and awesome God. But then, look what he says. Verse 27. Therefore you delivered them into the hand of their enemies. You delivered them into the hand of their enemies. You did not destroy them. You didn't consume them in your anger. You're slow to anger. But instead, you disciplined them. You disciplined them in your great love. And when they cried to you, you saved them. In verse 28, But after they had rest, they again did evil before you. <laughs> Therefore you left them in the hand of their enemies so that they had dominion over them. Yet when they returned and cried out to you, you heard from heaven and many times... You see the progression that's going on right here? I'm getting to my main part of my message. I want you to see the main point of this prayer. The main point of this prayer right here is this. God, He responds to us in grace. He responds to us in mercy. He responds to us in abundant kindness. He responds to us by being slow to anger, not consuming us in His wrath. He responds to us in all of gentle and kind ways that we can think of. He blesses us abundantly, and then we rebel on Him. We come back to Him. We rebel on Him. He disciplines us. We cry to Him. We come back to Him. We rebel on Him. He disciplines us. We cry to Him. We come back to Him. Do you see what's going on right here? But then look at verse 29. And testified against them that you might bring them back to your law, yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. In verse 30. For many years... For many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit and your prophets, yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the peoples of the lands. He says you responded to all of this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We're with you today, we're against you tomorrow. We're with you today, we're against you tomorrow. We follow you today, we walk how we want to tomorrow. How long do you, it does it take for you to get sick and tired of somebody like that? I'm your friend today, I hate you tomorrow. I'm your friend today, I hate you tomorrow. It don't take long, does it? But the Bible says, yet you were patient with them. For many years you were patient. And you pleaded with them with your Holy Spirit. 
You disciplined us, but you never consumed us. Because look at verse 31. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in your great mercy, you did not utterly consume them nor forsake them, for you are God, gracious and merciful. Now therefore are God. Now you see where I got to my passage that I read to you this morning. Now therefore are God, the great, the mighty, the awesome God. They recognize all they have done. They recognize all the evil and rebellion that has been in their life. And now they say, Your grace is amazing. They look just like you do at your life. How many of you in here are worthy to be forgiven by God? You're worthy of His kindness. You're worthy of Him being patient. No. Somehow or another though, He sees fit to be kind, to be patient, to be forgiving. So their response is this. This is a great God. This is our God. This is a mighty God. This is an awesome God. He keeps His covenant and He keeps mercy. Do not, and listen to what they say, do not let all the trouble seem small before you that has come upon us and everybody in, in your land from the days of the kings of Assyria until this day. Basically, here's what they said. Now, I know what you've done to us. It was discipline and we needed it. But don't think it was a small thing. God, we've done some suffering is what they said. Our discipline, it's been rough. It's been rough. However, look what they respond to it in the next verse. Verse 33. However, you are just in all that has befallen us. For you have dealt faithfully, but we have done wickedly. Verse 34. Neither our kings nor our princes, our priests nor our fathers have kept your law, nor heeded your commandments and your testimonies with which you testified against them. For they have not served you in their kingdom or in the many good things that you gave to them, or in the large and rich land which you set before them, nor did they turn from their wicked ways. He said, God, we look today. We have not been what you would have us to be. We haven't. We have not done the way you would have us to do. We have not lived like you would have us to live. Let's just be honest. We have not served you in all that you've done for us. But listen to this. He says, verse 36, but here we are, servants today. Today, God, we make the recommitment to you. Today we make the dedication to you that we are your servants today. God, we're going to quit living for us. I'm not going to worry about what I get or what I don't get. I'm going to live for you. We're your servants today here the land that you gave to our fathers to eat its fruit and its bounty, here we are in it. Servants today. We're going to live here as your servants. It yields much increase to the kings you have set over us because of our sins. Also, they have dominion over our bodies and our cattle at their pleasure. And you, you, you understand what he's saying here, right? He's saying, we are in great distress in the discipline you've given us. We have a king that is over us from another land. The king of Persia is our king. Not the king of Israel. We've, he's let us come back, build a house for him. He's let us come back and rebuild the kingdom, but he's still over us. 
He still enjoys all of our fruits, all of our labors. We are in great distress. But look at verse 38. And because of all this, because of this whole prayer, because of all that you've done for us, because of all that we've rebelled on you, because of your mercy, your grace, your kindness, your gentleness, because of everything that you are, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Somebody's asking me this morning, what does this have to do with our responsibility to each other as Christians? I've got the most simple message you've ever heard this morning. Yeah, I took the long road. I wanted you to see this prayer because I want you to see who we are today because we are no different than that group of people I just read to you. We build golden calves every day and give them credit for the work that God has done. We question everything He does. We question His rule and authority. We do not trust Him and all, all that He would do in our lives. We say, God, why would you let me go through this right here when the only thing He asks you to do is just trust me. I'm going to work it for you good. That's it. Just trust me. We are just as rebellious. We are just as stubborn. We are just as stupid as these people I just read to you about, every single one of us in here, we do the exact same thing. We rebel on God. We stiffen our necks. We harden our hearts. Ain't nobody going to move me for God. That's where we get. But let me tell you something about God. Even though we are just as rebellious and just as stubborn as those people in Nehemiah I was just reading to you, my Bible tells me that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If that is the case, then the same God that was yesterday and was gracious and full of mercy and kindness and always ready to pardon the great, mighty, and awesome God, if that same God was in, responded to the people in that way then and did not forsake them, let me tell you, He is still responding to us the same way today and He's not forsaken you either. He is still your great, mighty, awesome, forgiving, ready to pardon, full of gracious, full, full of kindness, abundant in kindness. He is still that same God today. But what does that have to do with our responsibility to each other as Christians? Very simple. Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. Very simple message. Very simple message. Because, see, let me tell you, what I could have done for the next probably year or more, I could have spent the next year going over love one another, be gentle toward one another, be kind toward one another, don't lie to one another, be honest with one another. I could have went through a host of responsibilities that you have toward each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, but I can sum every bit of that up into this message this morning by saying this right here. You have been rebellious to God. You have been stubborn. You have sinned. You have not been what He expected you to be. But our God, the great, mighty, and awesome God, has been ready to pardon 
He's been full of grace, full of mercy, full of truth, and that's how he's responded to you in this. So here's what he says to you. Matthew chapter 10, verse 7 and 8. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, and here it is right here. Anybody read that next part? Freely you have received. So what is your responsibility one toward another? What does that word freely mean? There's no charge. You have freely received, ready to be pardoned. You have freely received abundant kindness. You have freely received mercy, grace. You have freely received all the things that you did not deserve at all. What did you deserve? Death in hell. That's what you deserved. You deserved the punishment of death in hell and you have freely been given all these gracious gifts by God Almighty. And now He says to you, your responsibility one toward another, you freely give all these things back in return. You know, I, somewhere in a prayer I read, Another good prayer in the Bible. I think it said something, if you don't forgive men their trespasses, your Father in heaven will not forgive you. And I'm not just talking about just being forgiven. I'm talking about being kind to those that are not kind to you. I'm talking about being ready to pardon to the ones that offend you. Boy, Christians have a tough time with that today, don't they? You offend me, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go down here to... I ain't going to name no churches. Let me shut up. I'm just as stupid as you are. Come on, we all, we'll be stupid together. We, I am. I, I, I do the same thing. I carry my feelings on my shoulder. I get my feelings hurt. And you know what I do? I just quit. Take my ball. What do we do? We take my ball and go somewhere else and play. Freely you have been given. Freely you have received. Freely give people listen go ahead and put on your heart right now everybody look at me I want to see everybody's eyes right now I want to see all the sleepers I know we got some sleepy people out there alright y'all look at me come on come on there we go alright I got a few y'all look at me go ahead and get ready one day your feelings will get hurt y'all with me Everybody with me over here, right? Listen, one day someone probably sitting next to you is going to do something to hurt your feelings. Go on and get ready right now to put it on your heart to say, God, I'm ready to pardon. Did you all catch that? God said, I'm ready to pardon. He didn't say that I'm, I'm waiting so till... You no, know, He said, I'm ready right now. You ain't even messed up yet, Nick, but I'm ready to pardon you. You ain't even been mean to me yet, but I'm ready to be kind to you. You ain't even showed me no mercy yet, but I'm ready to be merciful to you. Freely you have been given. Freely you give back in return. Very simple. 
But why is it so hard for us? Everybody stand. Shirley, come and get us a song together. I want to ask you a question. While you're thinking about what God shared with you this morning, there was a lawyer that came to Jesus. He was going to try to trick him. He said, Master, what is the two greatest commandments? And Jesus, knowing in his heart what the man was trying to do, he said, you know, there are two greatest commandments. And you're going to think I'm messing with you, but I'm not. The first and the greatest commandment is simply, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. With everything that is in you, love Him with it. And the second one's just like it. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. On these two things hang all the law and all the prophets. Everything that God expects is fulfilled in those two things. And you will be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. He said, you line up with those and you've got it. So let me ask you a question this morning. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Or do you just give Him the leftovers? Let me ask that one more time. Do you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind? Or does He just get the leftovers? What does He get from your life? How much do you love Him? And my next question. Do you love your neighbor as yourself? Or are there limitations to where, how far you'll go in your kindness, in your mercy, and in your grace? Examine yourselves on those two qualities today. And I pray above else. I don't pray for a big response to this altar. You know what? Many of you have already poured your hearts out to Him. I don't pray for that. I don't care if one person comes up here. You know what I care about? You actually applying this to your life. I care about you truly examining yourself and saying, God, here I am, servant today. I ain't been what I should have been. But here I am today, servant today. And God, I ain't loved my neighbor as myself. But here I am today, freely receiving and ready to freely give in return.